In the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to be speaking about the gospel today. You might want to follow along in your bulletin, the, uh, the gospel reading that we have from St. Matthew's gospel. St. Matthew and St. Luke give us the two birth stories. And in St. Matthew's gospel, we get the famous story about the arrival of the Magi, or the wise men. So a little background here. There are two prophets that are being referred to in this gospel reading by St. Matthew. One of them, there's a direct quote. Um, he asked, Herod asked his chief priest and his scribe, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They searched the scriptures and they came back with the answer in Bethlehem of Judea. And there, as the prophet wrote, which prophet is it? It's the prophet Micah. Uh, and what's being quoted here is the fifth chapter of the prophet Micah. And there's another, uh, there, there's another prophet that is here. He's here by, by implication um, because of who the wise men are. The wise men are not Jews. The wise men are Goyim. They represent the nations. And in the medieval tradition of the church, each one of the wise men represented a different, a different uh, uh, nation, sort of uh, one the European people, one the African people, one the Asian people. That was the world as they knew it then. Now, one of the names for the Messiah is the desire of the nations. And there is a prophecy in the book of Haggai and Haggai prophesies that uh, this is what God says through the prophet. Uh, Haggai is prophesying the time of rebuilding of the temple and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Haggai prophesies, thus says the Lord, I will shake all nations. And the desire of the nations shall come. And I will fill the house, meaning the temple, with my glory. So here is uh, what's going on here with Micah. Micah is about 650 years before the birth of Christ. And uh, it's been, there's been a long story, but the, the, the kingdom of God, the people of God have become a divided people. And under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, there's a civil war and you've got Israel and the northern tribes with their capital of Samaria in the north and you've got Judah with the capital of Jerusalem in the south. And so they're kings of, they're kings of Israel and they're kings of Judah. If you read the book of, of Kings and Chronicles, they each refer to each other as so-and-so was king in Israel and so-and-so was king in Judah. And, you, you know, it's, it gets confusing, but there, there are these two, uh, it's a divided kingdom and there's two royal houses. And Micah's speaking to both of them. And he says it's been going on for decades and decades and decades and decades. And for all this long time, you've had the ten words of life and you haven't lived that way. And the kings have used the royal office not to serve the people, not to lead them in holiness and righteousness, but the kings have used the royal office to aggrandize themselves and to enrich themselves. He gives an example. He, one of the examples that Micah gives is the story of Ahab, that wicked king regarded to be the most wicked king that Israel ever had. He allowed um, the 
crude fertility religion of his wife Jezebel to displace the worship of the one true and living God. And Ahab, he coveted, you know, that's not a commandment, don't covet, right? Ahab coveted his neighbor's vineyard. He wanted to plant a garden where his neighbor had his vineyard. And he required the neighbor to sell him the ancestral land, which you're not supposed to do according to the law of Israel. And when he wouldn't sell it, uh, he stole it. And he killed the man. It was that kind of thing. Uh, you know, self-serving, self-seeking, political corruption to the nth degree, uh, gross sexual immorality, and every other dimension of the society corrupt as well. And Micah says, if you keep going on this way, well, Micah says it's too late now. Had you repented and returned to the Lord, you would have found him full of mercy, full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. But you have not repented. And so the Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to conquer both the northern kingdom and they're going to lay siege to, to Jerusalem. They're going to wipe out the northern kingdom altogether. That happens. And then Micah says, and later on the Babylonians will rise up and they will conquer the Assyrians and they will come in and they finally lay waste to Jerusalem and they will take all the people into exile. And that happens in 580 BC. And they go into exile in Babylon. There by the waters of Babylon we hung our harps in the trees. But how is it possible to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But... but all of the books of prophecy are, are, are books that have both judgment and hope, both judgment and grace. And in Micah's book, there's hope. And Micah says, this is what's going to happen. You have, you have sown the wind, you will weep the whirlwind. But here is the character of God. God is a God who judges evil, who uh, punishes wickedness, but God is also a God of mercy, a God of redemption, a God of restoration, a God who will re redeem, recreate, and restore his people and bring them back to the Holy Land and bring them back to the Holy City and rebuild the Holy Temple, the meeting place between God and human beings. and restore the people to the dignity for which they were made. That is to be a kingdom of priests. That is to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham that he would create for himself a holy people that he would bless so that they could bless all the other peoples of the world and God would gather up the human family and reconcile the human family, reconcile us to each other and reconcile us to himself. God doesn't make his promises in vain. God fulfills his promises. And Micah says, we know that God will forgive. We know that he will redeem. We know that he will restore. And we know that he will be faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham. And how will it take place? Well, God will send a Messiah, an anointed king. And where will the king be born? The king will be born in Bethlehem, in David's city. And will come out of the house of David.
Now they, they do get to return and they start rebuilding the temple and they're discouraged because it doesn't seem like the promises of God are really coming true. And the prophet Haggai is given a word by God to encourage them and say, don't lose faith. God will fulfill his promises. And this is what the Lord is saying. The day is coming when I will shake all the nations. And I will come myself. And as Micah promised that there would be a shepherd king who would gather up all the God's lost children and bring them back to himself and restore and renew them and bless them so that they might be a blessing. God will shake all nations. And the Lord says, I will come myself and I will fill the house with my glory. Behold, Haggai says, the desire, the desire of the nations. When, 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 the, when the anointed king, the Messiah that has been promised to Israel comes, then is set in motion the events whereby God will fulfill the desires of the nations. What are the desire? What is the desire of the nations? Peace, reconciliation, truth, wisdom, joy, peace with God, and peace with each other. I'll shake all the nations. And then I'll come myself, and I'll fill the house. He's talking about the temple there, but I'll fill the house with my, with my glory. So here we have these representatives of the nations, and they're searching the heavens, and they're looking for wisdom, and they're looking for truth. The desire for truth is unquenchable in the human heart. And what do they see there? Well, there's a lot of speculation about what they see. Uh, I have my own uh, conclusion. I, I think that one of the things that they see is something that's happening right now. They see a, they see a conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter uh, appearing in the constellation Pisces. And in the ancient world, what, have that, what would that have meant? It would have meant that the old king is passing away and the new king is coming. Saturn is the old king. Jupiter is the new king. And Pisces is Israel. So it would have been a prophecy of a new king in Israel. And then perhaps, having this appears three times in uh, 7 BC, then having seen that, perhaps they see a comet, perhaps they see a nova, perhaps they see a supernova. In the tradition of the church, this thing that they see is both a natural phenomena and something that God uses supernaturally. The heavens are being shaken. God is shaking up the nations. He's saying something world-altering is happening. And the desire of the nation rises up in the hearts of these men. And they set out on their quest. And then they come to this king, who is another wicked king. And not a king after the line of David. He's... he's uh, He's, he's a puppet that's been put on the throne by Rome. And when news of the real king appears, the usurper is nervous. 
He's anxious. Things are shaken. Things are upset. And then they hear the prophecy of Micah about Bethlehem. And they're led on. And the star stops over the house. And they go into the house. And I said in my Christmas sermon that I, I believe that the, where the Christ child was born, he was born in a house where it was a home and a stable all in one room. And the prophecy of Haggai is fulfilled. God has shaken the nations. He's, he's shaken up the Gentiles. He's shaken up Herod. He's shaken. He is, he is, everything has become uh, shaken, turned upside down. And God has filled the house with his glory. And the house is not the temple in Jerusalem. Well, Jesus will be brought there to be offered at the right time. But this humble home is being filled so that we might make a humble home for him and the desire of the nations might come true in our hearts. There's always going to be a king on the throne in our lives. Any government that wants the ultimate authority, the ultimate authority wants to be the absolute ultimate authority, wants to be the final word, will always be nervous at the news that there's another king to whom ultimate authority is owed. It's not a mistake that the communists got rid of religion the first thing they did. It's not a mistake that China is warring against the religion among its people. And it makes us nervous when he who is the king of kings and lord of lords appears because it threatens all the penultimate loyalties that we have that are masquerading as the ultimate authority and the ultimate loyalty. It shakes up all the secondary commitments that we have that have assumed the primary place in our lives. But he fills a humble home with his glory and invites us to make a humble home for him that he might fill us with his glory and fulfill the promise of Micah that we would be restored, redeemed, recreated, reconsecrated, lifted back up to the dignity for which God made us, become a people of blessing that we might bless all the whole world in God's name. And they offered him their treasures, gold and frankincense and myrrh, Gold for a king, frankincense for deity, myrrh, the speaking, the sacrifice of love. I'll end today with words from Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer. We know this hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But there are verses that we don't hear very often, and here's one of them. Come, desire of nations, come. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy human home. All to all thyself in part, formed in each believing heart. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. In the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.